This is the Ben Ryan Podcast. Now for today's show, it's the awesome Heather Fisher. Heather recently finished her stellar international rugby career that included winning a World Cup winner's medal at 15 aside level, playing in the 2016 Rio Summer Olympic Games for Great Britain Sevens, as well as winning a bronze medal in the 2018 Commonwealth Games up on the Gold Coast. She's also represented her country in bobsleigh and off the field. Well, she's been on a ton of new adventures that's also included participating in Celebrity SES Who Dares Wins. We cover a real spectrum of topics that includes working out what you really want, fighting the system, dealing with different coaching frameworks, putting honest conversations front and centre, and the journey and decisions that you make along the way. How she's dealt with her eating disorder, losing her hair, and how all of that was wrapped up in her finding her identity. We start, though, by chatting about Heather's thinking around finishing playing a game that has given her so much. I never took it for granted. Like when I fractured, had four lower back fractures in my back quite early on in my career. I remember that was kind of when I thought I need more balance in my life. I can't all be rugby. I can't just take for granted what I do. And actually, I need more than just rugby in my life. It was that point, really, I suppose, in my early 20s that I realised that I need to make sure I nurture myself because you never know when your last game could be because like that, it can change, right? once you're back into flow of it and you play every week and you train every week you just do what you do so that mentality for me doesn't even enter my head and you hear people say I will go really quick you know once you hang your boots up the hung and and I'm like yeah but not yet not yet and to be fair I knew it was coming I knew my time was coming and I was okay with it coming I've been talking about it for a good couple of years now not because my body was broken down although I've got you know I struggled with injury for Tokyo now at the time, it was more mental. I feel like mentally, I've been in like, as a professional athlete my whole life in two different sports since the age of 18. And I was always professional, you know, totally know I was professional before it was professional in women's rugby. So I've always treated myself like that. And I just felt so tired that I wanted more out of life. And that sounds really bad, but an English shirt is awesome. And I don't think you can really ever put a thought on it, right? I always wanted more than my English shirt. I wanted to be a successful person as well as a successful athlete and a successful, you know, individual away from the game as well as in the game. And that was always really close to my heart. So any opportunity I've had away from the game I've, I've taken and I've never chased caps and I've never chased the, num- the number of caps or the number of sevens or the number of 15s or cups. I've never chased those. I've chased... I suppose, Olympics and I've chased being the best I can be. And when I felt like I couldn't be the very best I could be, I put my hand up and said, look, I need to go out now. And that happened in 2018 when I left the squad. And then obviously before the Olympics, I spoke to my coach and said, look, I I, I don't want to go at less than my best. I'm not at my best at the moment and I can't get through my injury. And if you select me tomorrow, I'm out. And that was really tough. It's good honesty though, Heather. You know what though? I've always prided myself on my honesty with my squad. People don't always agree with probably the way I've done things and I'm not a systems person. I don't agree to systems and I've always, not intentionally, but I've always thought of a system and I've never fitted into a system and I've always been slightly different the way I've approached things and the way I do things. But when it comes to putting my English shirt on, you know, for me, any international shirt is full of pride and honour and I put my kit on and I'm ready to go every day of my life. And if I'm not ready to go, I don't deserve to put it on. And that's the way I am. Why do you think you fight the system? I feel like I've always been put into a box, like not always actually. That's actually that's not true. When I grew up with Gary Street coaching me, it was all about instinct. And I played instinctively. Like 
here's the lines, here's what looking to do, do what you think. And I was, so I was always very instinctive. And then as other coaches came in at certain times, you will stand here and go here and do this. And I really struggled to, I used to be on the pitch thinking, I need to sit there because I'm told to stand there, but my head's telling me I need to go over here. And I would fight between being instinctive in a system and in the end standing in no man's ground and just not be able to do my game. And I suppose that was a start of it. And then I suppose I've always stood out, like coaches have always felt like I was always slightly different or not hard to coach, but I have a smile on my face and I, I run around and I joke, but I'll work hard. And they couldn't really understand my personality. Some coaches allowed me to be myself and they're the coaches that got the best out of me and allowed me to just express me like myself. And they knew I'd always work hard. They knew I'd give my best. And for me to do that, it was to stay really relaxed and almost like very laissez-faire, but actually underneath. I'll, I'll be the hardest working athlete I know out there. I'm just putting myself in the shoes of some of those coaches where you didn't necessarily fit as well or you didn't get as long as well. Did any of those coaches see that and be proactive in trying to find the solutions? They didn't want to. I think as a coach, I feel like, and I do, you know, SSC now when we're in my field of expertise, I want my athletes to lead. Like I'm happy to guide them, happy to teach and mentor and coach. But at the end of the day, I want my athletes to know their body, know their own mind and know when to pull and when to push. And so I found that when I was growing up, some coaches wanted me to take charge and were happy for me to be who I was and realised that it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be a big I am or a big ego. I was just trying to be myself. But when I tried to fight it, I realised that I probably became a bit of an ego and I became a little bit like, um, I'd rebel against my coaches almost because I'd be like, as opposed to actually, I'm just, I am a bit of a, a loose cannon at times and I will play around, I'll mess around and, you know, I do. But actually, that's just me keeping myself loose in the real world because that's where I play. But when I step onto the white line, I, I, can go, I feel I can go from like dancing in a tunnel with a Kiwi and, you know, laughing before on the pitch to like, right, you're going down. Like, it's just the way it is. And, you know, win or lose, I give everything I've got. And, I think um, some coaches got that, but other coaches didn't want to understand it. They try, some tried, I think. Some didn't really want to understand it. Um, and it was easy to select someone else, especially when you've got a team that's winning. It was easy to select someone else that just does what you want them to do. That was never me. Um, I'd question why. Not because I question their knowledge, but because I want to know. I want to know. I mean, I'm intrigued. To, I'm always intrigued and curious to why, 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 why people think certain things, because that's the way I am, I suppose, as a person. Like, I'm intrigued towards those things. Do you think now in this next phase, and I, I want to kind of rewind a little bit and go back to um, your early days, but if you know, we carry on on this topic of conversation, do you think some of the stuff that you, that you were on the end of that was negative or was not helping you become your best version, do you think you're going to use, is that something now that you're looking back and going, I can kind of see the benefit and how that's going to help me now in my next phase, making sure that I'm as a coach, as a, as a leader, as a mentor, you know, and you're doing a ton of things. And I saw, I didn't realize that you just, you're just started coaching at Leicester as well. Yeah, it, it is. I, I, it is, but I think I realized at the time, I knew at the time, but the system wasn't right. The coaches wasn't, weren't always right, but it's not a wrong and a right. It's actually, where do I fit in? So it's something that I suppose I keep close to my heart, whoever I coach, whoever I mentor, it's important that your environment is right for you. I don't believe as an individual you can thrive through actually thrive in an environment that you don't suit. You can achieve and we can be successful in any environment because we're robust characters, but can you actually thrive and real make a difference long-term and be happy as a whole 5D person? 
I don't believe you can't if your environment's not right. I suppose now I've come into retirement, it's made me realise who do I want to work with, where do I want to work? And if I don't feel valued in the environment that I want to be in, I can be myself, it doesn't matter how much money or how much you give me, I'm actually not interested. Um, so I suppose I've had that take on it. Um, but then I also had the other take that I can't let go at how sometimes I feel like I haven't been able to thrive at my very best in 15s or 7s for England. I think that's that sits quite close to me is because... I think as a female athlete going for probably the best part of the first 10 years, I was 7 to 15, 7 to 15, and back and forth like a yo-yo, no rest off the back of bobsleigh as well, and just full time and just yo-yoing. I probably never made, I probably never made the best, best out of sevens or never best out of fifteens. And I became a great sevens player, but I, I still know there's more in my tank. But it's having the, I suppose it's having time and to go into one sport because they're very different codes in my eyes, you know. Yes, okay, we manipulate defences and attacks and stuff, but it, you know, the engines you need from them are very different in my eyes. No, no, I agree with that from from the physical side of things. The environment, maybe we both think when we think about environment, we don't think so much about actually the physical stuff, you know, the material stuff that's in place. Is that kind of what you're talking about when you want to be in the right environment and you want to create the right environment, what does that look like for you? What sort of things do you need to have in place? What now? Or even as a player, but I would assume, and I might be wrong because um, it's, it's a dangerous thing to assume anything about anyone, but for me as a coach, I want to create an environment that I would have wanted to be in as a player. Mm, yeah, totally. I want to. I, I feel like it's important to have a, um, an environment, a culture that everyone... Like, let's be honest, when you're in any environment, any team, you choose to buy into it. But ideally, you don't want to buy into it. You just want to know they actually believe in it, actually fully believe. So it's not fake. It's not. I think a lot of the environments I've been in have been fake. Like we all believe in it, but we don't really believe. We all want it, but we don't really want it. Does that make sense? Can you give me an example of, of what an environment that says one thing and does another? What does that look like? I think it's just like... Um, let's just say England sevens, you know, I've been part of amazing squads led by great coaches and, you know, I've always had a great relationship with Simon Amor and James Bailey and all the coaches who have been with me. But sometimes as players and your backs were against the wall, before they came along, actually, so probably before Simon Amor came, got involved, you'd be kind of stepping out to go and play a tournament and you're aiming for top three, but you actually know you're not top three. And I know we have to have this positive, positive mental attitude and believe, but for me, the belief comes from the work away from the pitch. So when you step onto the pitch, you just hope, you don't you hope, but you always, you want it to all come together because you know you've all trained for it. And I just feel like there are times where it's been pushed where, you know, we should be a top three team or, or a podium team time, time, time again. We've got, got the talent, but never really got quite got results. And for me, it's because we never got the environment, and the culture right. It was never, I believe that a culture should be a safe place, but a not a safe that you sit back and relax, but a safe environment where you feel like you're valued, you're trusted, there is trust in each other's belief. That's what makes it safe and you've got each other's backs, but it's competitive because you push each other to the very best you can be, not to manipulate against each other, but to actually use each other to get better. There's a very distinct difference. And for me, you can have two environments going to the same place, going for, going for podium, but one can be manipulated behind each other's backs, trying to push each other off to get better or you use each other to really come tight and really push each other to get better as a whole squad despite where you're on the bench finishing or starting 
and that's from management down to players down to staff um and yeah I think I've been a lot of sides where it's always been about playing players against each other and coaches seeing sides they want to see because that's what they believe in as opposed to actually what what people what what players and people actually perform together and actually are going to do it together as a whole squad is a very different in mentality there. Yeah, I'd use the phrase uh, a high tide um, lifts up all the boats, you know, and that's your culture when your culture's right and it's at the right level. And you, I thought what you said there was is a common, you, you said it really well, and it's a it's common misuse of having a safe environment where people think that safe means comfortable and it, and it doesn't. Safe means being, like you said, being able to be your own version, say what you feel, and then drive performance and drive standards. And that's the actual environment I thrive in. Like when someone says, right, fish, I'll race you, let's go. It's making them faster, me faster, and it's making us better as a team. And that's when I thrive. And I suppose recently it's been, it doesn't feel like it's been like this at times. It's, it's been literally, the tide has literally been a roller coaster of a ride. And I think maybe that's maybe that's a representation of where the women's game is. You know, I don't know. Um, maybe it's a representation of, I feel like we get a lot of guys coming over to the women's game who want to either use it as a platform to move on or they use their own experiences put into females. And I think even though, you know, take gender out of it, it's the game is the game. For me, an environment is about understanding your people and understanding what makes your people tick and everyone is very different and I think sometimes we, we get an imbalance between guys who come over and coach females and don't actually know how females work and it shouldn't be a massive determining factor but it is a factor that is part of the puzzle right and if you look at a puzzle in terms of performance it's actually a big chunk of it if one chunk's missing it affects the whole it affects the whole dynamics it, it really does one thing that you also mentioned at the start uh, of our conversation was just how um, in your career you've you know, you, you understand the importance of the mental side of the game. When was the first time, do you think, as an athlete, you saw that? So I've got two sides of it, I suppose. Quite young in terms of um, realisation that headspace affects performance. Because my mum had gone through a couple of divorces, I'd been in quite a hard headspace as a child. And then... I suppose having my eating disorder, so being, anorex being anorexic, I struggled and knew that men mentally played a massive part in where I was as a person, right? But didn't probably understand it in terms of the sporting context. Sporting context, I probably, it was, it was actually in bobsleigh when I had to learn to have three races over one day. So heat one, heat two, heat three. And I realized that I couldn't switch off. So I'd be ready for heat one at like eight in the morning. And then I have to I have to like farm myself up to get to top speed for like 10 meters about one o'clock in the afternoon. And again, later on, and I struggled to go up, down, up, down mentally and physically. So for me, it was probably early 20s when I was in, wasn't it, when I was in bobsleigh um, in terms of a sports thing. And I realized that I kind of, I couldn't switch off. Once I was on, I was on all day. And then I had to really teach myself to really switch off. And then I learned the importance of saving your energy mentally switching that switch like and that's what I talk about now where every time I kind of got off the line for England sevens it I was back on the line or back on the start of the bob and it was off again off again off again and repeating that but that took me a good few years to get so I was probably like early 20s probably like 24 and then in terms of I suppose headspace knowing that headspace and psychology and mindfulness and all that side was really important 
probably very young, probably 17, 18, but more from a off the field point of view with my anorexia, eating disorder, depression, that side of it. So, so I suppose very, very different to you, you know, even though I was playing sport at that level, I wasn't per se into one sport completely, you know. And where did you reach out for help? Did you look, did you look for books to read? Did you speak to coaches, friends? It was books and it was coaches at the time. So as academy coaches, it was, it was books. It was so I was, I was speaking to psychologists regularly anyway, because of my eating disorder. Um, but I found that actually mentally it's changed so much. So I remember seeing psychologists when I was like 16 with my eating disorder and it was all about your history, all about where have you been, what have you done? It was, I found it all quite negative. Whereas I find now that actually psychology is actually very positive. I see it as, I see it, it's more positive, more about behaviors, more about learnings. And there's two sides of psychology in the mind. I feel like there's one side of it, which, yeah, okay, we've all got demons. We all need to be able to deal with the demons. But actually, you can approach those in such a positive way. Because actually, I felt as a child that the psychology I had at the time probably put me backwards because it brought up all the past, then didn't teach me the strategies that I know now to actually help me deal with it. So it was, it was un- unraveling and talking and opening up, but never actually taught me the strategies, then deal with it. I actually see that quite a lot of that in sport where the first stage that people is, you know, that we've gone through now is everyone understands and respects athletes and going through different states mentally. And, you know, there's lots of stuff going out there, but then it's like, okay, well, we know where that, you know, we accept that. We understand maybe the other unravel where it comes from, but then what, where are the tools to help me deal with it on a day-to-day basis? And the tools of the people that I'm working with that might help me as well. Um, that seems to be missing a little bit at the moment. I know there's some really good mental first aiders now on the courses that you can do. And most, a lot of the clubs have that. Simon Amor brought in a lady, actually, a coach that made me more body aware and visualise and be able to take myself to the pitch before I was on the pitch and see the see where I'll be playing and the opposition I'll be playing. But if I'm honest, I was doing it in my bedroom at probably the age of 14, imagining myself playing against New Zealand or in my bedroom, you know, because that was my pinnacle of my career. I wanted to be at the Olympics and I imagined myself being at the Olympics. I didn't even care about what medal it was. I just wanted to be amongst the best. And I saw myself playing up Twickenham against the All Blacks and smashed it out of the park. And that was from the age of 14. So I've always had quite a strong mental, mental state and very body aware. Um, and that's probably not going to my favours of coaches because I don't believe that... Some players I come across aren't body aware and aren't mentally aware, but actually the stronger awareness you have, the harder it is to fit into a system as well, because you have this awareness of how you want to be and where you want to be. And then you've got assistance pulling in a different direction. And it's then getting that balance between where you actually want to be versus where you are. And there's not a lot of female athletes I've come across, you know, England seven through my time who are, who are very mentally switched on and body aware. Like I would never like, I would never really play with a niggle, you know, I've had injuries and stuff, but I knew when my body wasn't right. I knew when I had to pull back and knew when I could push and I knew when I wasn't right and down to like the bits, you know, and that I think is just down to the mental prep of knowing my body and having that awareness. You must've found that quite hard going into the celebrity SAS then, because that must've been, you must've had more than just the odd niggle every morning that you woke up, right? different I if I'm honest I was really numb during that experience because I left the program um I felt burnt out I felt burnt out 
when I did SAS, like burnt out. And I left England sevens. I sat down with Simon Emma and I said, I need to leave. I, I just feel like another preseason has gone by. Another five weeks has been off and I'm about to step back onto the pitch. And we've got to buy in six weeks and I feel shattered. Um, so I had an opportunity to do SAS, but nothing was confirmed. Um, I think this is where my teammates struggled, if I'm honest, because they thought I left for a certain reason. And that was really, really hard because it was like, actually, I'm one for taking opportunities, but I just know I'm not right for England. If that doesn't mean I'm not right to walk down the street or walk my dog or go and do something different, I just know I'm not right for my English show right now. That's all I knew. So I made the, I made a big decision to walk away from my contract and tell Simon well, I just need to break. And to be fair, like, he's been a great guy, great mentor for me. And he just said, Fish, do what you need to do. And I support whatever you need to do, which was music to my ears. And it felt, I walked out of the Lensbury. I just cried and I just had to weigh it from shoulders and just sat there and just thought, I've just got a bit of freedom. I can just go and relax and just go and switch off. And it brings tears to my eyes now. I can remember feeling how I felt so run down. And then I remember getting home and almost twiddling my thumbs and thinking, what do I do now? Like everyone's training and I just, I don't even want to get off the sofa. I felt so shattered. Um, and about two and a half, three weeks went by. And then I had a phone call from my agent. So look, Fish, you know, they want you to trial out for it. So can you go, can you go through these processes? But like anything, you never know until you get to the very end that if you're going to do it or not. So I tried to do it. Um, I got through all the fitness for it. But if I'm honest, Ben, I was so numb because I was so tired I hadn't, I didn't smile for weeks and I cried every day for eight months and I left the program for nine. I cried for eight every day. And my aim some days was just to get up and draw my curtains back and make my bed. That's how low I was. And I don't know why, I don't know. I don't know why I hit rock bottom, but yeah. So when I did SAS, I wasn't driven by, I'd say a lot of my career has been driven on emotion and proving people, prove myself right, not people wrong and proving who I am as a person, especially after losing my hair, I felt like I lost my identity. So reproving myself. But then when I did SAS, it was like, I just did what I was told. There was no, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't really, I wasn't myself on the program. I just, I just, I was myself in what I did, but I wasn't bubbly. I remember smiling once when I was there. I thought I've just smiled. And it's the first time in weeks I've smiled. Um, but I didn't really have any, I didn't, it was a great experience, but I didn't really have any feeling towards it um, because I just felt so, so knackered, you know, so tired. I think I tore my bicep off my left, left arm and I didn't even. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> it was like bright purple and bulging. And I just, it was like part of just what I did, you know, like, as I said, it was a great experience and it gave me, it gave me strength in a different way. Like people say, when you do something like that, you know, you must come out feeling like, what did you learn? I didn't learn anything, but what I did notice about myself is that I'm not scared of anything. I feel like I've got nothing to prove. And that was probably when I started to know that I was ready to retire because I thought I've got nothing to prove to anyone. I've got no parents to prove to. I've got no childhood issues now that I don't understand. I understand who I am as a person, even though I felt like I lost a massive part of my personality when I lost my hair. That was something I de- I've struggled to deal with. And that was actually something I was struggling with in 2018. So I feel like when I came out of SAS, I came out of the torture room. And what got me out of there was just, I remember hanging from the chains, as you do. And I remember just thinking, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay as a person. I've, I'm okay. Like, I've done good. I've stayed honest. Despite what people think, I've stayed honest to myself. People don't always get you, but that's not your problem. And I remember just walking out thinking, I don't need to prove, I don't need to go to the end. I don't need to 
go under a you know block of ice and come out the other end to prove that I'm a, I'm a good person I'm actually okay right now and I remember just walking out and I'm going I think you're done I was like yeah you know what I am I'm, I'm, I'm done and if he didn't say number 10 you're done I would have stayed because I didn't really think about it but as he said I think you're done I went yeah I think I am and I do look back and think why didn't I fight Ant's comment of I think you're done and why didn't I go no I'm not done at all but it's because I had no at the time I had no drive in me I wasn't driven by emotion I wasn't driven by competition I just wasn't driven if I'm honest I lost all mojo and so I was just running on pure look let's go as far as I can if I can do it then great if I can't it's okay and I don't think I was ever cut out to be an SA soldier I'm not mentally I'm tough but I'm not mentally I don't believe in knocking people down to get to the top so and I think SAS you have to be really really strong to knock people down to get to where you want to get to um, and that's just the mentality you have to do to have to do your job right and that's what it is but for me yeah I'm not that tough I think I'm, I'm strong but I'm not tough <laughs> Just for our listeners that might not um, be into to deeper level uh, sevens or rugby, we talked about Simon Amor there, and it's always lovely to hear that a coach has got those softer skills to connect with athletes beyond the pitches and gave you some good guidance, you know, before, during, and after you you were formally in a relationship with him as coach and athlete. Um, it's 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 good to hear all of that, and you also talked about when you left there and there was a moment then in that kind of nine month period where you hit rock bottom. Do you remember then how you what started to get move, move you out of it? Did, did that, did the SAS have some part to play in that then? Because you realized that you were happy in your own skin and comfortable with the direction of traffic or was it gradual moving back up again? I think if I'm totally honest, I'm just being honest and how it comes out is how it comes out. Right. But being a female athlete is, is I, I know being any athlete is really tough. But being a female athlete, whether there's not the money, there's not security, you've got a family to think about. If you want to have a family, if you want to get pregnant, you know, if you want all that stuff for me, I was 34. And I remember thinking, 34, I haven't got a mortgage, I haven't got a house, I'm leaving out of bags. It's great that I put my English shirt on every week, but actually I've got no stability. I've got no stability at all. And so for me, it was about being settled. And that word settled, I kept feeling my stomach at the time. I was like, I just don't feel settled. I don't feel like I've got a base anywhere. And I've never really needed a base, but I kind of got to that stage in my life. And I was like, here we go again, another season, another device sevens coming around the corner, another five weeks off. Here we go again, push again, pre-season. And I'm living out of London, but I'm not from London. My family's up, up in Birmingham and I'm not seeing anyone and I've got no balance. And I think it scared me. So I think just years of this got me to a stage where I was like, I can't carry on like this. And I got really scared. Um, so when I knew I was going back into a system, even though I was aiming for another Olympic Games and a Commonwealth Games, I was really, really scared because I felt like I had no belonging. Does that make sense? It, it's the thing that I think about every day, from my honest view, is, is the belonging piece. And it's that's the, that's the one thing that I struggled the most with leaving as a coach place or as an athlete. Um, after that initial fit period where you're just trying to work out what's going on, it's it's that belonging, that sense of belonging. For me, it's it, it's very very strong. I, I want to feel it. Um, you know, at the moment, I'm that's kind of come back with the clubs that I'm working with. But yeah, I, I totally get that, Heather. Yeah, it's really tough. And and I think where do I sit now in society when success is based on what house you have, what car you have, and that to me isn't success. 
we all evolve, right? But I think success looks different every year or, or every transition of life and sport or business, trans, like success looks different. So it's working out actually success at the moment for me is being at home and having time and doing my morning yoga and having time with my parents and, you know, family and changing lives. That's actually success at the moment. And in a year's time or a six months time, it might change again. But at the moment, that is how I define success. And I think sometimes we forget that. We think success is this and it's only that. But it has to be a part of living because it allows you the opportunity to do stuff. So I was really, really stuck. And so I started to get better as I started to see a way out of it, that actually more opportunities elsewhere, doing more stuff. And then away from the picture, I got busier. Then I realized that I had more balance in my life again because I got sucked into a system that I actually didn't have balance. And the balance allowed me to kind of be less stressed you know, away from the less stress on the pitch because off the pitch I have my shit together. And I think a lot with psychology, it's not always about psychology of a sport or a skill or performing. It's sometimes everything else that affects your performance and the person. And I feel like if people could spend time with psychology of the person, then you will actually get the performance in whatever walk of life you're in. On your website, you really clearly, well, you talk about being brave, being bold and being you. You know, uh, you know, working hard, taking risks, believing in yourself. And you also talk about your, you know, the various things you're doing now about helping people get better, be, be their best version. Is that something now that kind of you wrap a lot of what you do and a lot of what gets gets you out of bed? It's interesting, actually, because it does all, it all resonates with me. So I don't, there's no when I listen to like be brave, be bold, be yourself, there's no. It's a real easy strap line, isn't it? It's just words, okay? But what it really means to me is it really defines who I am. It really, really, truly does. And I feel a lot of us, people say, oh, this is what I believe in, or this is my motto, but don't really, really, truly, it doesn't define them. But I, honestly, if someone sliced me in half, that is what's inside of me, and I struggle to be anything else, okay? But what I feel is that everything I'm doing now, I've retired, and the first question people do, first question people ask is, oh, what are you doing now? What you got planned? Got exciting things? And actually, Ben, if I'm honest, no, I haven't. I haven't got a plan, because actually, I'm still changing lives. I'm still inspiring. I'm mentoring. I'm working in businesses to mentor. I'm working sport to mentor. I'm working with S&C to inspire and to motivate and to mentor. So actually, that is my purpose, and actually, that is what I'm doing. I'm doing nothing different to what I was doing six months ago. The only difference is on a day, daily basis, I get up and do yoga and walk in the garden and probably sweep a few leaves up instead of put my English shirt on for training. That's the only difference because everything else is exactly the same because that's who I was. And I feel sometimes there should be, when people retire, there's this magical thing of, oh, you're going to do TV, you're going to go on commentating. I don't, I don't want to commentate. You know, I would love to be able to be a children's TV presenter and be involved in that side of it or go onto the radio and do more radio presenting. Love that side of it. But actually, I'm, I'm actually really happy. Um, and I feel guilty being happy in retirement because it's like I should be finding it really scary and I should be really lost. But I'm not scared. I'm not lost. I just feel a little bit like weird right now. Like I'm walking on a tightrope with my eyes half open, you know, um, with a bit of a wobble. And I know I'll be okay because what I know from the past and what I've always said to my 13 year old self, if I had a, if I had to say something is to trust yourself because you'll always be okay. And I do trust myself and I know I'll always be okay. And I've been in worse places and I will be okay. At the end of the day, I feel like I've had a great career and I feel really proud and honored. And for everyone that supported me in my journey, I, I feel, I, I feel privileged, you know, because of that. And 
every time I put my shirt on, I represented everyone who helped me get there, everybody. And you can't thrive and be that successful individual on your own. I don't believe in that either. And so I feel really proud and honoured where I am. I just need to find out the next steps. And I suppose that takes time. And I'm so impatient, um, but it takes time. Yeah, and I'm sure, as you as you know, like you start trying to like chase something too hard, then there's a moment where you've kind of got to let go and trust, you know, your, your skills and your talents and, you know, that, that, that there's something without wanting to sound too hippie that that kind of universe sometimes does have have plans and you just gotta just you know work as hard as you and as clever as you can and opportunities arise and the right opportunity that you're going to want to take and it's easy in this modern world isn't it to think project too much in the future get worried about what we haven't got and forget about what we have totally agree totally agree so i suppose that's where i'm at do you mind me taking you back then a little bit because you talked about what you say to your 13 year old self but was it 16 when you started playing rugby or was it a bit earlier Mm, for about 16 mm. yeah 16 and then I've got kind of a just for for the listeners a, a really short timeline that I wouldn't mind having a little bit of detail because there's a bit in the middle that I find really interesting that kind of at 20, 16 you played rugby and then you got really good at that and at 22 then you went into the bobsleigh program where you represented Great Britain and went on the European circuit and did the junior champs and all that sort of stuff but then three years later you then went back into rugby at 25 um that I find I find it interesting because it aligns to what you talk about, you know, being brave and being bold, taking risks, deciding at a point where you know you you're peaking in sport potentially twenty two to twenty five. You've gone into bobsleigh. What? Else? Yeah, add some colour to some of that. I remember making a decision. It was a real bold decision to make. Um, and I remember phoning Gary Street and saying, "Look, I've got an opportunity to go and represent GB. I've done some trials. I've done some tests." I can jump pretty well. I got some got some good pace on me, but I wasn't speed at that time. So I was still endurance on the verge of speed. Um, but my childhood was always about the Olympics. I used to watch Olympics and be like, I want to be that Olympic Games. I, for me, it represents not just the best, because actually Olympics isn't about the best to me. It's about the, the athletes just striving to be the very best that they can be. Uh, and the stories and the, I suppose, the stories they come from and where they've come from and their journeys, it really inspires me. Um, so, yeah, so I had a chance of, like, obviously, I didn't realise when I sat out in rugby that it wasn't in the Olympics. No, back then it wouldn't have been, would it? No. And then you sit out and you realise it's not in the Olympics. So when someone dangles a carrot and goes, look, let's have you in the GB bobsleigh team, I'm like, yikes, Winter Olympics, that's pretty cool. So I, I made a real bold decision. I phoned Gary Street and I literally said to him, look, if I'm good enough, I'll make it when I get back. And he was like, but you're, you're on the verge, like you just said, Ben, you're on the verge of your England career, Six Nations, getting capped. And I, I said to him, the exact words were, if I'm good enough, I'll make it when I get back. And I left. And I was like, I literally hadn't been down a bobsleigh. I hadn't, I hadn't really pushed on ice. I just pushed at Bath. And I was like, what if I hate it? And I got out to Lake Placid, North America side of stuff. And I remember going down the slopes and I hated it. I was like, whoa, this is awful. And it was going so fast. And my head was like bobbing left and right. My nose was streaming, my eyes were streaming. And I had a headache by the time I got down there from washing my head so much. And I just remember thinking, yikes, I've said no to England and here I am in a, in a tin can hitting stupid miles an hour, really cold down the ice. And then my teammate literally says, right, Fish, let's go again. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
I'm thinking, how can 56 seconds feel like so long? Did you enjoy it at all the first time? I hated it. I just couldn't believe it. And I still hated it. Like, it was really weird. Like, I stayed in it because I thought, Fish, you've made the decision now. You've been brave enough to make it. Now stick it out. I'm sure you'll get used to the headaches. You'll get used to the feeling of it. You'll get used to everything. Just stick it out. Um, but then we kind of started to, we, we were in the Olympic Centre in Calgary for quite a while. Um, and I was getting used to it, but I was getting the kick out of my push. So pushing from the very top and having like trying to get the fastest start out of the blocks, that type of stuff. I was loving. And I love the training of being able to be a full-time athlete. Um, I love that side of it and love the knowledge of being in a professional environment. And that's actually what I've always chased is that professional environment as opposed to sport itself. So it really wasn't about the sport. It wasn't about rugby in my career, I've noticed. And it wasn't about bobsleigh. It was about having the opportunity to be in that elite mindset, which is what I loved and thrived on. But I stayed in Bob for another couple of years um, and I, I kind of pushed at Junior Worlds um, and then went on to Worlds and then got pulled from Worlds for having glandular fever. And that was when I started to lose my hair. And I struggled with the lifestyle of um, picking up colds and having to train, having to then have a different diet, like I was having goulash for breakfast and weird stuff that is in Europe to eat for breakfast. And I was struggling digestion-wise and I felt really run down. I was starting to get run down. But I started to really develop a different mindset of actually, I just don't think I can be my best. And that it was that young age I noticed that I just want to be the very best I can be in whatever I take to. Um, so I made a decision. Well, I got pulled from the world. So I didn't make my decision. I got pulled from the pulled from the world's um, with glandular fever and just burnout. And that was the second time I'd had that because I had it also when I was anorexic. Um, so I got pulled and then. I went through a phase of wanting to be normal and just fitting into the world for a few weeks, try to get a normal job and just try to be at home and just love being at home. Cause for two years I'd be on the road, living out of suitcases and racing every week and having race offs every Friday for the weekend ahead. And it was a crazy life, but amazing life. It was almost unbelievable, really the life I was having and being a full-time athlete was pretty cool at such an early age as well. But then Simon Amor called me and said, look, fish, we've got a sevens program starting. Like, how about it? And I was like, I don't know, I've got a chance at the Winter Olympics next year. And he was like, but we've also got the Sevens World Cup next year, Fish. So if we get you training now, then we've got the Sevens World Cup. Um, and then I had a big decision between Olymp Winter Olympics and Sevens World Cup. And for me, once I got back into the Sevens setup, it gave me an opportunity to use my speed, use my power, be myself and have balance. And that's what kept me in rugby. And so you made that call and left and then you began that process where you covered sevens and fifteens and have you got a highlight in all of that and have you because you've won, gone to sevens and fifteens world cups and you've obviously gone to the olympics as well and commonwealth games where you got a bronze highlight probably um probably commas if i'm honest commas i think in the gold coast in 2018 uh, right yeah commas the, the squad felt like we played as one under james bailey loved him as a coach loves his ethos and how he how he was as a coach and a mentor I think he's a great guy in terms of what he gave to the program at a time when, at a time when after the Olympics we lost a lot of players to 15s and a lot of players going into the 15s game we had nothing, and yet we still managed to qualify for a World Cup. God knows how we still managed to sometimes train with four people on the pitch, and we still managed to get to Commonwealth Games and get, and get a medal. And I think, um, yeah, he did a great job and he made he for me proved that that you have to 
definitely think about the energy that you're giving somebody and not just taking and it's definitely the person for the performance he kind of pushed that into me and installed that into me and I realized actually I can be myself and I can still ask if someone else is okay it's one of my favorite questions and I stole it from Owen Eastwood who who has written an amazing book called Belonging and he works with amongst other teams he works with Gareth and the England football team and he just talks about always think about what you're doing is it adding energy or is it taking energy away and as coaches and as athletes we get we just get lost sometimes in everything and don't keep it simple and like that is such a fundamental question to human performance right yeah and I think so so when it kind of comes back to what's on my website and what you said about being yourself and being bored and being brave for me it's really simple but actually by being brave you're kind of you put yourself out there take those risks and take those opportunities and by being yourself, you're allowing people almost in and around your circle. And you're, you're letting yourself be vulnerable because I think to be yourself is really tough to be. A lot of people aren't themselves, especially in professional environments, you know. And I think you show your true colours and you show your vulnerability. So, yeah, I think sometimes the things that we look overlook as players, coaches and mentors is the basics. But the basics are the fundamentals that... We just go, oh, yeah, we know that. I know that. But no, but do you, you don't need to know it. You need to actually be it. You need to actually physically install it into you. So it's your DNA. I think that's the difference. You've talked a lot about different risks and then you've backed it up because there's so many, there is so many different stop and start points where you've taken risks. You must have faced some challenges along the way then. What have been some of your greatest challenges? My greatest challenge is still like what I talk about today really is probably my hair loss like like injuries and being dropped off selections or not quite making selections or not being what a vest and they're all things that I can deal with because actually you can always get better I can always I've always got someone to help me pick up the pieces but when I lost my hair I lost a massive part of my personality like a massive part of my personality overnight yeah I, I didn't go out for years didn't go out for years I would just pretend I was busy you know to people who asked me out I wouldn't go out for four or five years um and I be, I became I had to understand who I really was and that was really really tough I, had, I didn't feel I was ever accepted I was always I was always challenged I was always questioned and I found I, I still find it really difficult is because you can't your identity is people judge people judge and we're in that world of people judging I understand we all judge I get it but for me you don't judge a book before you've read the cover and you've read the actual all the pages, you know, not just the start and not just the finish. Um, and I feel like sometimes I'm such a bubbly character and I'm a strong character, but I'm really, really vulnerable. Um, and that's probably something I've struggled with because I think maybe I've had a reputation of being really hard on the pitch. But away from the pitch, that isn't always, that isn't me. Um, I'm probably very, very opposite. But people put two and two together. And so I found that really hard to deal with. And I felt like I had to change as a person to fit into a system, which is where the system comes into it. And actually, then I realised, I suppose, under Simon and James, that didn't have to be. I could just be myself. Um, and it's OK to have good days and bad days. But, yeah, I think my challenge of losing my hair, I think, is still something I struggle with now. One of the one of the, the, the sentences that you just had there that a lot of listeners would have would have heard and taken a sharp intake is the amount of time that you were at home. You know, the, 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 you know a few years, you said, was did it kind of creep up on you? Was there a moment where you realised that that had been the case I knew that I was saying no to things um I knew that I was saying no to things but I probably didn't realize to, to how how much I let it control my life 
it wasn't until I was training towards the 2016 Olympic Games that I realised I wasn't really thriving on the pitch and I felt like I was playing well at the time, but I wasn't really present in sessions and I was a bit, I was trying to almost fit in rather than perform and just be there to do my job. And I realised a lot of it was down to the fact that I didn't accept myself away from the pitch. So I struggled with who I was away from the pitch. That meant for me, I struggled with who I was on the pitch. So I went to see a psychologist then in 2016 about, about my hair loss. And it wasn't actually about hair loss. It was probably more about identity, personality, um, about being okay with being different and being okay with being judged. There's so much in all of this, but the advice that you'd give to someone that's going through challenges like this, where would what would you say to them? My advice would be to trust that you'll always be okay because if you're if you're a fighting determined person, you'll always find a way. So it's about, you know, we talk about it in England, but it's the same as in life. Like you find a way to win, right? You find a way to, to be okay. But also the importance of your environment and people around you. So my, yeah, my advice would be to be able to be, able to be yourself, but to be yourself means you have to accept yourself and to accept yourself, you sometimes have to have understanding of where you've been and why you're thinking, how you're thinking. I understand that. That makes sense. Heather, when I was looking at your website and you're talking about different things, one of the things that really caught my eye um, and that appeals to me is watching young people turn their lives around because you're, you're a youth sports trust mentor. A lot of the other stuff that you've, you've talked about has been about helping people become their best versions. Going forward, is that something that, how, do you, how does that manifest itself physically in what you're doing? How do you, yeah, how do you, how do you help people turn their lives around and get, get into um, becoming a better version? I'd like to think that whoever I meet, I kind of leave a bit of a stamp, a bit of a footprint, really. Every contact leaves a trace, right? Got it, right? Yeah. I'd like to think that I'm quite a memorable character and um, I, people leave going, I can do this. Um, so I suppose that's what I do in every, what I, that's always my aim whenever I meet people anyway and speak to people. But also I kind of mentor and do a lot of S&C now for young athletes. Um, my youngest has been nine. And I just try and stall in them the values that, that are close to my heart and make them understand it's okay that it's okay. Like I've had I've had 13-year-old, 14-year-old boys on, on the what bike just in tears because of family stuff. And I'm like, it's okay, just just cry away, just just do what you need to do. It's okay. This is your environment. So I try and make my young people feel safe and listen to. Um, I try and make them feel like strong and brave, but around who they are as a person as opposed to, I don't have to install certain things into them, but it's, I suppose, things that I believe in, I just make sure I reliterate with them and whether it's discipline or whether it's boys who are dealing with testosterone and starting to get a bit of personality and getting aggressive and dealing with that side of it, you know, and teaching the wrongs and the rights. And then with lesser tiger stuff at the moment, looking to do a lot of their skills and S&C stuff, and it's installing the values of me as a player and how I actually perform and, but what I've noticed, Ben, is it's not actually about me as a player. It's me as a person. I spoke to one of the players half of the warm to say, how, like, in terms of how do you feel? Any feedback you don't feel like I've done or left out, then just get back to me and just, you know, help me here. Don't feel like you have to do it because I'm saying. So I suppose I mean, I'm trying to be pretty honest and open. Um, it made me realise as a player how much it's just all about the players when you're in that role and actually how it's been for years with myself how much emphasis there is on those players and how much emphasis there is on staff. Like, you can't be the team without the staff. You cannot be, unless, unless the people around you do their, do their role, you cannot do it as a player. 
it made me realize yikes how demanding i've been for absolutely years you, should, you can't the listeners might be able to hear it in your voice but you, you, we're just got the audio here but heather's smiling broadly so you must have enjoyed that experience right that must be something that you're thinking i want a bit more of this the, the other side the coaching the mentoring the helping those players I did enjoy it, but there was something not missing, but I feel like there's still more. I'm not sure what more looks like, but I'm there's I'm not fulfilled yet. It's early days. It's early days. I know, it's early days. Something's not there yet, but I don't know if it's because I'm really intrigued by culture and environments and the women's setup just isn't there yet. I think people are trying to put women on the map. People are trying to be inclusive and diverse but it's not always done like that. Just because they want it doesn't mean it's always done. And I think there's a bit of, um, there's a bit missing. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have some stuff that you can't sit back and just see what happens. You're going to have to put some timings in and and plan sessions. But there will be a there will be a large element in this start point where you just can see where you sit and where you can add value and where the culture is and where you can help to get it to where you feel is, is the, the level that's going to help them all. I'm starting to do a lot of work with um, companies as a business mentor. Um, and I love that side of it. It challenges me a lot. I think more so than probably coaching on the field. Um, maybe because it's maybe because coaching on the field is kind of where I've just come from, perhaps because it's so new. I don't know. You know, we talk about before, like the person for the performance in sport, but in business, it is amazing how many people do not put the person first. And actually, if we just created a different environment, probably get better results. But taking that gamble and being real brave, take that gamble in business is 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 that intrigues me. Yeah, and this could would be another show because you know in businesses you also struggle a lot of time unless it's got a great culture where they just disconnect the departments. Don't feel like you know that if they hit their figures in whatever it is the accounting side of it, then the marketing side, they don't see that. Why should they go and help someone in? in advertising if they're from another one they just have a silo mentality a lot of the time not all of them but understanding like in sport that if you actually help others get better than the whole thing you know going back to that analogy that the the tide will rise for all the boats yeah totally agree <laughs> with james bailey and simon actually we always said that if we had a bad day if one of us is having a bad day go and help someone else but in business it feels like you have a bad day you deal with it yourself and you don't tell anyone you get your head down you go again and you get you know that's it done and actually, I'm like, well, that is so backward. Like, you know, I want people, for me, if I was working with a company, I want them to, to love coming to work because they love being in that environment. They love the environment that's being created and the culture that is, is kind of leaving a legacy. Whereas I think a lot of people just do things because they feel like they have to. And that, that shouldn't be the way. No, it shouldn't be the way. And thankfully, most teams and organizations understand that if you get the relationships right within the organization and team, then the productivity, in simple terms, the results are going to follow. I'm not sure I've had as honest a conversation for quite a while. Heather really says what she thinks, and I will always look forward to chatting with her, such is the way she talks and feels about people. Having gone through all the things that she has just spoken about, you realise how she has turned it all into a positive and understanding to an even greater level what she's about and where her drive and values live. It was a joy to hear her speak about all of this. It's pretty obvious along her journey, she's had coaches and mentors that have inspired and helped her be as good as she can be. 
I love hearing athletes talk so positively about coaches. She's also had others that haven't given her that. And again, it's very typical for many athletes at all levels along the journey. So what's the takeaway here? Well, for me, it's valuing those you teach, you coach, you work with. Always having that in your thoughts. The days of they're replaceable if they don't fall in line or I'm in charge and you'll do what I say when I say it have no place in a culture that wants to help everyone thrive. It might give you as a leader or a coach some sort of short hit of self-importance, but it won't give you real enduring success and success that's measured by helping to change lives and to serve. Connecting, valuing those you work and coach and you teach to create in a culture where everyone really feels ownership. A lot of coaches fall into the trap of bringing in a sports psychologist or a NLP coach because you want to improve a player or a team's mental game or deal with some personal player issues. Now I value a good qualified sports psychologist hugely used in the right way but true high performance is based on selflessness and that starts with you as a coach or as a leader. Listen to others, help others, collaborate, do all those things first and consistently before you even think of bringing in extra help. Remember that always. Everything we talked about or referenced in this chat, we will make sure in the show notes and you can find those at benryan.co.uk forward slash podcast. Heather, well, she can be found on social media at at hfisher2012 on Twitter and at heatherfish29 on Instagram. Her website is heatherfisher.co.uk and you can contact her on there for any commercial opportunities too. She is huge value in so many ways. Someone I would want in my performance team if I was involved in one for sure. So hit her up if you want to know more about what she's up to now. You can find all the previous shows on the usual platforms including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. Twinning this show with listening to Matt Little in Series 1 would give you the coach's view on many of the subjects we chatted about too today. Whilst our listenership has reached new heights globally this month, that hasn't been matched by the amount of new reviews, so we would love you to leave a review if you haven't done already. This has been the Ben Ryan Podcast. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to bringing you another great chat next Wednesday. <laughs>